Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this podcast, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast should consult their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions we might make. McNamara on Money is heard on six continents and in more than 50 countries worldwide. Now sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Happy fall here in Massachusetts. Alrighty, so we have a plan this morning. We always have a plan when we start this show. And here it is. I officially titled this show, What to Do When Bad Markets Happen. And that title was for marketing purposes to hopefully get as many folks to listen as, as appropriate. I spent probably a couple of weeks off and on getting ready for this show and I came to the conclusion somewhere along that way that uh, I had two pages of material <clears throat> for the show and uh, it pretty much summarized everything I've learned in 42 years of being a financial advisor. Uh, at first that was a little scary <laughs> and then secondly I said, well, you know what? Okay, if this is the important stuff, maybe I should share it with a bunch of other folks. And so we're going to have a wide variety of topics this morning, all related to investments and your money and your financial life. And we're going to start with bad markets and stuff like that. But over the course of this show, and, and I'm probably thinking this might go another week or so besides today, I'm going to share with you things that I think are pretty darn important when it comes to investing and money and living your financial life and hopefully preparing and living happily ever after whenever that time comes. With that said, next comment is that anywhere along the way here, I would love to be interrupted by a phone call. We have open lines right now. That means nobody's calling just yet. I am broadcasting live to the South Shore of Boston on WATD and live to WCAP in Lowell, the Merrimack Valley, as you folks like to call it out there. Between the South Shore and the Merrimack Valley, I'm thinking we might get a call or two or three here, and that would be pretty nice from my point of view. The Anything that you would have a question about, I would be happy to answer and interrupt the show. Preferably, it would be somewhat on topic, and that's okay. That's okay if it's not. Really what I'd like to do is uh, have some folks call uh, on questions related to the topic. And by the way, if you had maybe your 401k statement or any of your investment statements with you, when you give me a call, I'm, I might be able to help you sort through some questions or things that you might not know about. I'm putting on my consulting hat this morning and basically going to throw this open to calls and hope we get a few. And if not, I am happily going to share 42 years of stuff in about a page and a half, at least what I'm looking at on, on the paper here. Don't don't laugh, Dave. This is uh, this is how this works. Okay. Anyway, so our phone number here, again, I'm live in the South Shore on the Merrimack Valley at 781-837-4900. And as I like to say, the only dumb question is the one that you don't ask. Don't be shy about that. If you've called this show before, you know I'm a 
reasonably polite guy, can explain things in English, and we'll be happy to try to help you out if that's the case. Uh, let's see. Okay, what I'm going to start with, and let's see here. Dave, I have a, I think I pushed a button in here that I can't hear myself on the speaker, and I think it's got to do with the speaker in the back. Yeah, you take a peek at something for me while I can talk, and I'm, I hear myself broadcasting, but it's not in my earphones, and I'm not sure if I, what I did to make that work or not work a thing. I'm not even sure if I've got the right earphone on here this morning. If not, we're working, folks, and we can have calls, and that's just fine, but I'm a little bit, I pushed that button to shut the speaker off, this one, and nothing's happened after that. I can't hear myself with my earphones. Anyway, not to worry. Okay, here's the deal, folks. Calendar 2022 was like a miserable year for stocks and bonds uh, on the planet. And if you happen to look at your investment statement, okay, or any of them, on a 12-31-22 year end, which was sometime in January of this year, you probably had a coronary or two in terms of what the account had done over the course of the year. I'm going to cite some numbers and explain what happened, and then we're going to get into the fun part about what is it that, you're, that you should actually do about that if anything, given the circumstances, okay? So that's, that's how that goes. Let me give you some numbers, okay? In calendar 2022, by the way, stocks went down, and for the first time in my professional life, bonds went down with them, which is very unusual, and we'll get to that as we go forward. But anyway, so here's the numbers, okay? It literally, in calendar 2022, we have a caller. Let's go to Richard in Halifax. Richard, Sorry, I think we lost Richard, Dave. What are you going to do? Okay. In calendar 2022, okay, the United States stock market, known as the S&P 500, was down a bit over 18%. So that's bad number one. In calendar 2022, great big blue chip stocks, okay, in the form of, it's called the European Australasian Far East Index. It's basically non-U.S. big blue chip stocks. They were down 14% for the year. And if you had a few wild and woolly emerging market stocks in your portfolio, and everybody should have one or two or three depending, they were down 20%. 18, 14, and 20, those are pretty scary Pretty scary numbers, okay, when you're thinking about owning stocks in your portfolio. When we have bad stock markets, those numbers are not unusual. And actually, they've been down a whole lot more than that, depending on what kind of time frame that you want to pick on, okay? Scary times indeed, but not nearly as scary as sometimes in the past. Okay, the worst performing asset class last year, in my humble opinion, is, was the U.S. bond market. Okay, for the first time in my lifetime, okay, I'm sorry, the first time in my professional lifetime, 42 years and counting, okay, stocks went down, bonds went down with them, and literally the U.S. bond market as an aggregate was down 13.01%. That is a huge number if you're a bond investor and something that is pretty scary the worst number, if I recall my research correctly, I think the worst time the bond market ever had before this 2022 was like a down five. 
Historically speaking, bonds don't go down very often in calendar years. And historically speaking, they don't go down a whole lot. And this was like an unbelievable downtime for U.S. bonds. And you probably saw some of that in what you thought might have been a conservative portfolio for 2022. So that's where the numbers were. And yeah, one, one, one more pretty scary number as well. If you owned nothing but 30-year government United States Treasury bonds, okay, they were down 19% for calendar 2022, a totally amazing and scary number and something that doesn't compute with a whole lot of folks. But folks, those were the numbers. Twas a bad year. I'll make a guess, okay, but... If your asset allocation, that would be your mixture of stocks and bonds that you own, if it was somewhere around 60% stocks and 40% bonds, I'm going to make a guess that if you did the math, you were probably down somewhere between 11 and 14% that last year, calendar 2022. Let me rephrase that. You were down temporarily somewhere between 11 and 14%, a number that would scare a whole heck of a lot of people if you weren't used to it. So those were the numbers, uh, and that's what got me started thinking about having a show on the subject. I guess the next question would be, well, you saw these portfolios, you saw your own portfolio more than likely shrink some kind of a scary number. What did you do about it? Uh, And and that's uh, the the theme here going forward for the next half an hour or so. But before I do that, I need to explain how bonds work and also how stocks work. Here's the deal, and I'll try to, it's hard to do numbers over the radio, but here I go, okay? Hey, uh, let's see, okay, just give me a timeout. Nope, not working yet. Okay, it has something to do with the, this form here. Let me try that now. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Sorry about that, folks. I'm just going to keep on talking and not worry about this. A- anyway, okay, so imagine that you own a whole bunch of bonds in your portfolio. You've got bond funds. You've got this, that, and the other thing. Okay, but imagine you own a whole bunch of bonds. Okay, if the bonds that you own... Let's say that they're paying 4%. I'm just going to make that number up. So right now, today, you have a bunch of bonds that are paying 4%. And if in the next year or two or three or four, okay, bonds like yours pay, I'm going to make this up, 8%. Then the question is, wait a minute, the bonds that you own are paying 4 Okay, the, the new bonds that they're making next month, next week, next year, whenever, they're paying eight. What do you think your bonds are worth in that world? Or said differently, you own a bunch of fours, the world's paying eight. Are those fours worth as much as you paid for them? And the answer is no. They're somewhat less in value because of what's happened. The, the macroeconomic point here is that interest rates go up and people who own existing bonds, their resale value, okay, goes down. Yes, if you have a bond, you get a guaranteed interest rate, okay, and yes, if you have a bond and you hold it until its maturity, you'll get your money back, 
probably. Okay, but if you choose to sell your bond before it matures, there might be some bad news for you if the bonds in the current world are paying more than the bonds that you own. Okay, so once again, okay, interest rates go up. Existing bondholders probably aren't too thrilled about what's going on in their portfolios. Okay, it also works the other way, folks. If interest rates go down, okay, the bonds that you own might be actually worth more, okay, than you have in your portfolio. That, that's where it sits here, okay? So that's how bonds work. And so the question is, what do I do about my bonds? I've been used to looking at them for a bunch of years. They've been pretty steady. They, they cut down the excitement in my portfolio with this, by owning the stocks. What do I do about them? And if you knew the future okay, and if you knew which way interest rates were going to go, then you'd probably know what to do with your bonds. But nobody knows the future. And obviously, that's the tricky parts. In reverse of interest rates, go the opposite way in terms of their resale values. And they went so far south last year that there's a whole bunch of people who just woke up to now knowing that. And I was just trying to under, under explain how that actually works. Okay. So w one more thing. Uh, also, it, it would be to explain how I think stocks should work or they do work. Uh, and this is a matter of opinion amongst financial advisors. Okay. Um, if you're a stock market uh, aficionado and you're buying or selling individual stocks or stock mutual funds, if, if you're doing that based on where you think the world is going and what's going to happen with a company, whatever. Okay. You are, in my opinion, speculating on the prices of stocks and the stock market. Uh, and that's one way to invest in stocks, but I choose to use the word speculating while I'm doing that. Okay. The second way that I think one should view stocks, okay, is that stocks are not stocks, they're companies, okay, and that if you own a company that grows its profits and makes more money over time, there's a pretty good chance that the value of that company okay, would increase as a result of its profitability and success in the world. Okay, plain and simple. Okay, okay, Th that is my opinion of how you should look at stocks, and I'll just use the word companies. Okay, my my simple basic philosophy about owning stocks is that if you own a whole bunch of companies and over a long time give them a chance to grow their profits and become more successful, there's a mighty good chance that the values of those companies will go up over time. And, and end of story. Okay, so that's Stock and Bond 101. We'll try to get into a few more uh, details here, but that's basically how it works. And, you know, the, the question I have is, so you looked at your year-end statements last year. You probably had some concerns about the about the future of the world. And I wanted to give you some information that might help you sort through what happened and whether you make some changes or not in your portfolio. So that's the deal. Okay. So the first question that should, these are things you should be thinking about when you're reviewing your financial statements, folks. Okay. Uh, and, and the first question is, what is the mixture 
of stocks and bonds, okay, that you have in your portfolio. Okay, it might be one account, it might be several accounts, whatever. Okay, by the way, officially it's known as an asset allocation. If I wanted to sound reasonably intelligent, but the bottom line is the mix of stocks and bonds, or the mixture of stock funds and bond funds that you have. Do you know what that is? Okay, by the way, you should, and you should have chosen that mixture as part of a grand plan in terms of you're getting wealthier with your money over time. Do you know that asset allocation? And there's something very powerful about having a mixture because history says that the return that you receive on your money, 90% of the return is based on the mixture of stocks and bonds that you have, not the particular individual stocks and bonds that you have. I, I, I need to say that again so that, that you understand that. Okay, approximately 90% of whatever return you're going to get on your your portfolio of stock and bonds, hopefully funds, approximately 90% of that return is going to come on how they're mixed and only 10% of it is going to come on what your investment choices are or, or a few other factors. That's a pretty important thing to know uh, about investing your money, okay? And if that's the case, then maybe you ought to pay a whole lot of attention to the mixture of stuff that you have, okay, in your portfolio. Number, case number one or, or point number one or, let's see, exhibit A uh, would be that do you know your portfolio asset allocation? And a follow-up question is, do you know if that's appropriate for you and your circumstances? But that's the first thing you should look at, okay? If you don't know how your stocks or bonds are mixed, um, you, 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 you should. I'm going to be kind, uh, and it's really important from my point of view. Uh, so that's uh, thought number one. Thought number two Okay, is have you been, if you do know your mixture, congratulations. Okay, it's basic information that you should know. But if you do know it, okay, have you been rebalancing? And if that's a phrase or a word that you don't know, then good, because I'm going to explain it. Okay, if, if you decide, hopefully with a financial advisor, that you're going to have your mixture be a 60% stocks, and 40% bonds. If that's the allocation that you're comfortable with, pardon me, I'm going to take a drink with a sore throat here. Okay. If that's your mixture, and if you chose it because, and you should have chosen that mixture based on a return that you think you might need, and a, an excitement level that comes with that that you could be comfortable with, okay? If you've chosen that mixture and it's your mixture for however long and whatever period of time that's supposed to be, good, okay? Are you keeping to that mixture? Or is it still the same, okay, after a given quarter or a given year or some period of time? And the answer is no. It's absolutely not the same, okay? Uh, generally speaking, whatever mixture, if you had that 60-40 mixture of stocks and bonds and you started out in your plan saying, yep, this is appropriate, if you never rebalanced that, sooner or later, the stocks are going to outpoint the bonds. And maybe a year or two from now, you don't have 60% stocks, you have 70% stocks. Or maybe five or 10 years from now, 
You don't have 60% stocks, you have 80% stocks. So portfolios that are not reset, that's the term I'm going to use, or rebalanced, okay, they get away from that mixture that was supposedly the appropriate one that you had to begin with, okay? When one has one's asset allocation, when one has one's mixture, say 60-40, if that was appropriate, if that was what your goal was, if that was what your comfort level was in the risk category, then I'm thinking you ought to keep it that way, and it's not going to do that by itself. I'll give you an example. You do a 60-40, 60% stocks, 40% bond strategy, and that's your asset allocation, and you have a whole bunch of different kinds of stocks and stock mutual funds in there, and you have a whole bunch of different kinds of bonds and bond mutual funds in there, okay? But let's just pretend there are two funds to make it simple, stock fund, bond fund, Okay. You put $100,000 or whatever number you like, okay, into that portfolio, okay, and a year later, when you take a peek at it, okay, and by the way, let's assume you're hoping for a 6% return, okay, with that kind of a mixture. So a year later, you look at it, you got a 10% return, you're pretty happy, and if you looked at the mixture, it's now 70% stocks and 30% bonds, okay? The stocks went up a bunch and or the bonds went down a little bit, however it got there is whatever, but you started with a 60-40 and you got yourself a 70-30, okay? You're probably pretty happy when you look at that 10% return after a year, okay? But the next question that you should ask yourself is, do I still have a 60-40 portfolio? And you don't, okay? So if you now own a 70-30, Okay, what you need to do is sell enough stocks in that portfolio and buy enough bonds in that portfolio to get back to a 60-40 because that's what you bought. That's what you invested in. Okay, the, the tendency would be, holy moly, okay, it's 70-30, but I'm, I'm up. I'm going to leave it be and can't go from there. Folks, you, you don't want to do that. When you put your portfolio back to its initial proportions, because that was your goal, okay, to begin with, it's called rebalancing. And I hope very sincerely that you're doing that on your portfolio, excuse me, on a regular basis. Whether it's quarterly or yearly, uh, it doesn't make much difference, I think, statistically. Excuse me. Scratchy throat. Sorry about that, folks. Anyway, okay, if you're banking on a 60-40 for the next 10 years in your financial plan, you probably should stick with that. And the only way you do that is to rebalance. Okay, the tendency would be, wait a minute, I'm not going to sell some stocks that went up. They're going back up again, probably, and I'll make more money. That's an unknown. Okay, so it's very, it's, sometimes it's hard for folks to rebalance because, You look at the stuff that went up and said, holy moly, I think I like that. Okay. And and you're literally selling some stuff that went up and maybe buying some stuff that went down. If you think about that for a minute, folks, that's a pretty good strategy. Okay. And that's what rebalancing accomplishes. So we're coming up on a break here in probably what, 30 seconds or a minute? Okay. Coming up on a break. So what have we learned? So far, (laughs) what we've learned is that everybody out there should have a certain mixture of stock and bond, hopefully mutual funds, in your investment plan, and that whatever that mixture is, it's appropriate, 
Okay, you're comfortable with the level of excitement that will come with that, and you're hoping for a certain return. And number two is that once you've got that plan, until it needs to be changed, stay tuned for details about that, you need to rebalance it in some regular fashion to keep it that way because that's what you bought. Okay? Alrighty. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. We're back. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on Money. We're having a mini crash course on the investment world here. I think that's probably the best way to, to say what's going on here. And we're op we have open lines, and I can take callers now. Things are just hunky-dory here at the studio. Our phone number here, if you're in... If you're on the South Shore and or if you're in the Merrimack Valley, our telephone number is 781-837-4900. We're talking about your investments and your life. And after 42 years in the financial business, I think I've managed to put everything I've learned on two pieces of paper. And I'm sharing that with you for anybody who cares to listen here. 781-837-4900. The only dumb question is the one you don't ask. All right. If you missed the first half hour, let's see. If you looked at your statement for calendar 2022, you were probably nervous. If you weren't nervous, you probably had a plan and knew it was coming. And if you didn't have a plan or didn't understand some things, you were probably nervous. And we're trying to address those folks here uh, in this uh, particular hour here. First thing you should be thinking about is that you need to have a certain mixture of stocks and bonds uh, that is appropriate for uh, a return that you may need to earn to live your life in the future and appropriate for the amount of excitement that comes with that portfolio, like being down 12% okay, in a given year. If that 12% was normal, then sorry about the negative year they happened, but if you want to earn things, take risk, okay, down years come with the deal as part of it. Nobody likes to do that or not. So appropriate mixture would be the, the first consideration. And the second consideration is sticking to that mixture, okay, which is really hard for folks to do. If you have a 70% stock and a 40% bond strategy and the bonds go nowhere and the stocks scream for the next year, Maybe you've got 70% stocks as opposed to 60, and you're excited as all get out. Yeah, but you didn't buy a 70-30, you bought a 60-40, and you need to put that back together or rebalance or reset or reappropriate your portfolio so that it gets back to that core that you chose to begin with, that 60-40. By the way, by doing so, you sold some stuff that went up. Write that down. And you bought some stuff that either didn't do so well or went down, write that down. Let's see. Sell high, buy low. I'm liking that. Okay. Let's talk about the the excitement level here. Uh, there's lots of different kinds of risk in my world, uh, but uh, the, the one we'll focus on right now is 
volatility. Okay, volatility, a definition, is the fluctuation in price of something around a mean return. If you have a 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, uh, I'm going to guess that you hopefully earn somewhere between 5 and 7% a year over the rest of your life, and we'll use 6 as a mean return. Hmm. If that mean return, okay, if, if you are shooting for a 6 and your portfolio is down 12%, I have a newsflash for you. That's probably well within the up-and-down volatility range of your portfolio, and it comes with a deal. And if you knew that, you would have said, I'm not thrilled about that, but I knew that's part of the risk I took to have this particular portfolio. Folks, you, you need to understand how much volatility you're buying in that portfolio, and you need to be comfortable with it when the time has come. I believe I have a caller. Let's go to Jim in Pembroke. Good morning, Jim. How are you today? Good, thank you. Uh, just a quick question. What are your thoughts on an age-based fund? Okay. For uh, just... Joe Schmo, uh, worker. <laughs> and that's my selection, my age-based fund, and I let them do the, the magic. Sure. And you're talking like a retirement date of this and this is the mixture? That, that, exactly. Yeah, yep. great question. Okay, They're officially called target date funds, okay, and many companies have them. And what they are is they're professionally managed portfolios of stocks and bonds, okay, whose risk level changes over time okay, as people get nearer to the time when they're going to use it. Okay, my, my simple thought is for folks who don't work with a financial advisor, I think they're terrific investments and they're the, probably the only kinds of things you should have in your 401k plan because they're pretty respectable and they'll do a lot better than most folks would do on their own trying to pick a portfolio or do this, that, or the other thing. So I think they're wonderful things, okay, for folks who are, are not working with financial advisors. And I don't mean to be self-serving here, okay, but the other side of the target date funds is that the time frame that they're on, okay, may not necessarily line up with your needs because they're doing that for a whole population of people. Financial advisors work with individual folks and try to schedule time frames, okay, that match their particular set of circumstances and situations. Okay, the target date fund is a wonderful mass approach to that, okay, for a whole lot of folks who don't have that particular attention. And there are, by the way, target date funds are relatively expensive. Target date funds have different endpoints. The, the 2040 Fidelity Fund and the 2040 Vanguard Fund, okay, they may have a completely different level of mixture of stocks and bonds uh, by the time that end comes. If, and by the yeah. way, it, it may not be exactly appropriate for e even if you retire at those kinds of dates. Truly, they're wonderful, but you can probably do a bit more individual attention and a bit more appropriate matching to your situation if you sit down with somebody and pay them a few bucks to do that. Did I explain that okay? Do you have any questions? No, you, you hit the nail on the head. Thank you very much. Appreciate right. your time. Listen, you have a great day, okay? You too. All righty. Son of a gun. That was a great question. Let's try that again. If you're in the Merrimack Valley today, I'm live, and the same thing goes for the South Shore. And the number here is 781 837-4900. I guess I'm in the process of sharing everything I've learned in 42 years since 
on two pieces of paper, and I'm only about the third line here, so we'll see how this goes. Anyway, so know your mixture, your allocation, rebalance it, be comfortable with the level of excitement that comes with your portfolio, okay? The other day, I will tell a funny story. I guess it's funny. I'll tell a funny story uh, I recently had with a, a client, okay, who, by the way, had a, a, a McNamara financial 60-40 portfolio, uh, probably not much better and not w- much worse than anybody else's, by the way, uh, but had a 60-40 portfolio. And by the way, the, the one standard deviation excitement level is about plus or minus 12 or 13% in that portfolio. What does that mean? 12 or 13% up or down in a given year comes with a deal. When I reviewed that portfolio in calendar 2022, that those particular folks were down literally 13%. And by the way, that 13% trended out to, uh, turned out to be north of a half a million dollars in temporary downward value of their portfolio. Okay, being comfortable with 12 uh is one thing being comfortable with seeing your portfolio drop five hundred thousand dollars, which is the twelve percent, is another. And by the way, I, these folks were—I won't say uncomfortable, but they were aware of that. And by the way, if your portfolio temporarily goes down twelve percent, uh, it'll more than likely come back unless the world comes to an end. And by the way, I could, and if I had to, would go back over anybody's client folder and point out probably dozens of times since I've known them where they were down at least 12% and either knew about it or didn't know about it. The fact that it was in a calendar year was probably more notable. But bottom line is that the, there's a volatility level, okay, that comes with your portfolio. You need to accept it. By the way, volatility is not loss, unless you make it. If your portfolio at the beginning of the year was a million dollars, and at the end of the year, it's $800,000, your volatility was minus 200. If you sold it, then you just created a loss of 200,000. So please understand that volatility is just volatility. It's not loss unless you make it. Okay. And obviously, if you don't make it, you're hoping that it gets better again. And that's the whole faith and investment religion piece I'll get to sometime, but probably not today. Okay, so the the volatility, understand it, okay, be prepared for it, okay, and by the way, usually easier to think percentages than dollars (laughs) when you're looking at the downward fluctuation of your portfolio. Okay, The, the next question that folks might be asking if you looked at a portfolio after a bad year is, well, okay, let's see, is it my mixture still appropriate for me? Okay, for my age and circumstances, should you change your mixture as a result of a bad year? Did you do the wrong thing? Uh, what, what, what should I do? My answer to that is that if your mixture was carefully chosen for you, if it was appropriate for you, okay, and if it was working until you had the temporary down year, there is no reason on earth to change it, okay? You do not change your portfolio mixture based on how much your portfolio goes up or down. You do change your portfolio mixture on situations that relate to your life 
As you're getting closer to retirement, maybe you should drop it down some in terms of risk. Okay, if you're 27 years old, there's a lot of reasons why you may change your mixture. Maybe you're five years away from retirement and you have a certain strategy and a certain mixture, and then all of a sudden you inherit $3 million. Maybe you can afford to be a little braver these days or whatever. So do not ever change your asset allocation to a different one. Okay, based on what markets and your money is doing, base it on what you need to have it done in your life. Okay, but by the way, I'll give you an example. If you did move to a lower risk portfolio, here's what's going to happen. And I can speak clearly on this with some folks who've done it. Okay, if you're basically in a portfolio that's 60% stocks, okay, and you ride it down to a low where it's down 14% and you sell it at that time, I'm nervous. I'm going to lower my strategy and I'm going to go to a 40% stock portfolio and a 60% bond portfolio because it's more conservative. Okay, here's the problem with that. You're going to pay for that move, which was a wrong one for a long time. Okay, I'll use my train down the hill strategy. Imagine two hills exactly the same size and you're on the top of the first one on a great big train and that train is going down the hill. Okay. When the train gets down to the bottom of the hill, that's your 60-40 portfolio. You're down there. You change trains, and you change to a slower train okay, to get back up to the next hill, and it's going to take longer to get there. Folks, the recovery time to get back on track if you lower your investment mixture by the risk proportions of stocks, if you lower that, it's going to take you longer to get back with less stocks to do that. And that may be five or 10 or 15 years. I am working with some folks who did not follow my suggestions about that. And uh, I'm looking at pretty miserable returns that they didn't have to earn okay, if they had the courage uh, to, to hang tight given the tough times. And so lowering your risk at the wrong time in a portfolio just extends the time you need to get back the money that you lost when you did sell and make that loss. So I hope I was clear about that. Folks, this is the Call-In Talk Radio Show. If you have any questions, it's uh, 781-837-4900. Okay, let's see. What else can we chat about? Oh, yeah, okay. Let's talk about how you deal, okay, with risk in your portfolio. Okay, and there's, there's one important thing that it's hard for all of us to learn. And the fact is that investors need to be very patient and investments need a long time, okay, to work, okay, effectively. Excuse me, as an example. So uh, you need, in my humble opinion, okay, you need at least five years and probably 10, okay, under your belt before folks get comfortable with the risks in investing, okay? And the, the, this, it's pretty simple, okay? It's, it's hard to deal with losses, but, well, I'm sorry, temporary losses, but if you've been through downs a couple of times and the world has gotten better after that and better, then it gets easier to accept that excitement that comes with that, okay? I like to say, it's been right so far, Okay, that there's nothing wrong with a downturn that can't be fixed with enough time. Okay, and the trick is that as an investor, you have to have enough time to weather that downturn. Let's see. 
average stock market that's a good one runs about three, three and a half years, depending on how you count. And an average stock market that's a bad one runs a year to a year and a half, depending on how you count. Okay. And one never knows when one when they're coming and going. But you're talking about a five years to have a cycle on average. Okay. So a couple of cycles, okay, might be 10 years. Okay. Folks, you just need time. We live in an instantaneous society with information and we watch things happen live and it's just not good training for investors who have to be patient. That's a, a characteristic, mighty important as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, so how do you buy your way through a downturn in your portfolio? If you're 29, uh, I think you got no problems. Okay. If you're in your mid fifties or even early fifties or late fifties or early sixties, if you're getting near that retirement, you probably have a different answer about how that works. Geez, if I'm getting near retirement, okay, I may have uh, some difficulties and or maybe I'll need some money before before I retire. So my point is that you have two kinds of money, folks. You have investment money and you have cash or what I'm going to call emergency or operating money. Okay, two kinds of money. Okay, investments and cash. Okay, everybody out there listening to me, should have an emergency reserves fund, okay, to cover real live emergencies in your life, like medical illnesses, or, or by the way, unemployment, okay, kids asking for money because they're in tough shape for this, that, whatever, okay. Everybody should have some emergency funds. And if you're like retired, okay, or near retirement, you should have a big chunk of cash sitting in a bank, nice and safe, that you don't need. But if all of a sudden you needed to replace some income in retirement for a while, that, that's why you have emergency funds, okay, to allow you to wait through a downtime or to allow you not to have some, to sell some investments while they're down through a downtime. Uh, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with, it, with investments going down, down as long as you have enough time for them to recover. Okay, if you're actually retired and if you're actually taking money from a portfolio, okay, uh, we, we, we practice what's called the bucket theory, okay, which is fairly common in this industry. Um, we like to have folks with two or three years worth of the income that they need to take already in their portfolio, nice and safe, okay, so that we don't have to sell any of their investments during down markets, okay, because we can wait them out, okay. So if you're retired and taking funds from your portfolio, I hope you have some buckets inside the portfolio already so that uh, you don't have to sell some stocks and bonds while they're temporarily down to do that, okay. Uh, pr pretty straightforward. And again, so it's important to have enough financial resources to wait to get out of a downtime. Now, there may be some 60 or 70 or, or even 80-year-olds listening to me. By the way, I'm 75. And you might be saying, what's my investment time frame? I'm old. <clears throat> Folks, your investment time frame is the rest of your life. And if you happen to be 75, you're hoping that's more than two or three or four years. Okay, don't get confused about that. Your investment time frame is your lifetime. And it's pretty, pretty uncomplicated if you look at it that way. Alrighty. Okay, I think I'm going to finish up. This is actually not a bad, but I'm going to finish up basically saying 
we've been talking about your money. We've been talking about what to do and don't do. We've been trying to talk about some generic, basic stuff or things that you should know. Okay, now I'm going to take the last few minutes here and tell you that the actual return that you make on your money is uh, is when you look at your whole financial life, okay, you have a bunch of other things that are much more important than what your money earns for you to live happily ever after or to have a pretty good life. So, said differently, <clears throat> okay, your investment return is not the major determiner of what your financial looks like. I'm sorry, financial life looks like. Okay, there are a few other considerations in, in that story. Okay, we're all certified financial planners where I work, family business. Okay, and we try to craft people's financial plans for their life. And it certainly involves their money, but it involves a bunch of other things like insurance and estate planning and a, whole, a bunch of things I can't get into here. But anyway, okay, we sit down with folks with some pretty sophisticated software. We try to gather as much information as we can. We've had a little experience doing this and think we're qualified to, to do it. And the bottom line is we try to map out and take a look at what's the rest of your life look like. Okay. Okay. And there are here are the things that determine success in your financial life. Okay, the order in which I'm going to read these things, okay, after a whole bunch of years in this business is pretty much the order uh, of importance for many folks listening to me right now. Okay, so, yep, investment returns are important, but let me get, give you uh, uh, the lineup, okay? The uh, most important consideration in you living a nice financial life now or later is how much did you save? Okay, the, the next uh, important consideration is how much, how long are you going to live? Okay, the next one is how much you're going to take. And the next one is inflation. And then I get to what's your return on your investment. In, in order of importance about doing things right in your financial life, I have investment returns in fourth or fifth place for most people. Okay, let, again, let me take a moment or two. This is big, folks. Okay, how much you save, okay, for retirement is the major determiner. Okay, stupid example, you're investing 100 bucks a month in the best investment on the planet, and it's learning, and it's earning 18% a year, okay, for, for your, the rest of your life. Okay, scenario number two. Okay, you're investing $3,000 a month for the rest of your life, okay, and it's under your mattress. Yeah, there's a pretty good chance that the person saving the three grand a month forever is in better shape, okay, than the person saving $100 a month forever, okay, because of the amount of money that you set aside. And for some strange reason, how much you save is connected to how much you spend, but that's a whole other show. Okay, number two, how long you live. Okay, when folks retire, you're going to need to stop working, or they do stop working mostly. Your income goes down. You got to draw some money from your portfolio. Okay, how long is my money going to last? If both of you die next week, you've got plenty of money, there's no issues. If both of you live to 110, you might have some problems. Okay, so longevity 
how long you live, okay, is a fairly significant determiner, okay, uh, of what your life looks like and uh, how much money you may leave the kids or have, have not at all to think. Savings, longevity, okay, next uh, in line, okay, how much do you take, okay? I, I have to chuckle when I hear people ask or read advisory column, hey, I have a million dollars in my 401k, am I going to be okay? Okay, that, that's only one of the two questions you ask folks. M- most folks have a target in mind of how much money you need to be okay. And let's say it's a million dollars. Great. There's another question you should ask is, if I have a million bucks, how much money am I going to take out of there every year? Let's see. If you take in $300,000 a year, uh-oh, going to have to continue this next week. I love it. This is, no, totally awesome. Totally awesome here, folks. Uh, anyway, the, the short story is, <laughs> uh, the, the short story is we will continue this next week. And uh, I hope you found this somewhat helpful and interesting. Have a wonderful week and see you soon. You can find McNamara on Money on all the major podcasting platforms. New episodes drop every Monday. Tune in weekly for everything you need to know about making smart financial decisions. Subscribe today so you don't miss a single episode.